fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the wallet app and you're good to go. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next, visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, and welcome to The Ringer Prestige TV Pod. I am Chris Ryan, and I am joined, as always, by Banksy. And we are here to talk about the penultimate episode of the second season at Ted Lasso. It's Midnight Train to Royston. Obviously, it's Van Lathan. It's not Banksy. Greyhound gang, woof, woof. Woof, woof. You don't know if I'm Banksy. I guess anything's possible. I could be Banksy. Isaac could be Banksy, you know? Isaac could be Banksy. If someone at The Ringer... We're going to be Banksy. Who do you think the number one person to be Banksy at the Ringer would be? I'll tell you what the funniest Banksy would be Who? is if it was Bill. <laughs> <laughs> if it was like, this guy's got it all and he's fucking Banksy. And he's Banksy. <laughs> that would be fucking hysterical. Yeah. Be, <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, man, we're going to talk about an episode. It's a, it's a bad scene this week, man. Betrayal, heartbreak, imminent departure. Sitcoms don't really have villains per se, but Ted Lasso sure has one. And, you know, we can get into whether or not that means Ted Lasso is or isn't a sitcom. Mm. But let's talk about Nate, man, because yeah. this was a this was a pretty dark episode. Yeah, I feel like this entire season is like Nate's villainous origin story. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Like, there's always a moment where the villain is messing around with it. They're fucking around with it. They're messing around with it. And then there's a moment that raises the emotional stakes for them to agree when they can't turn back. And that, of course, in this episode is the moment that he tries to kiss Keely. And I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I really don't. But he's humiliated. Yeah. He's humiliated. She says it's okay. She's letting him know, hey, this doesn't mean anything. He walks back into the dressing room, and what a penetrating scene! Uh, so well acted, and he cries. spitting in the mirror, yeah, spitting in the mirror. He hates himself. So now, if he hates who he actually is, that means he has to overcompensate. He has to overcompensate. He has to put himself in a situation where he doesn't have to see himself anymore because other people will do the scene for him. That's when people try to make themselves as big as possible, and that is when. You do things to your friends in order to get ahead and change your perception about you. Yeah, you know, we don't often see, like you just mentioned, the origin of a villain story. You know, like we do, we do that in prequels. We'll go watch The Joker. There's spinoff movies where they try to explain like, well, this is what happened X, Y, and Z to get this person to this point. But typically what we want from a villain is for that person to come in and change the temperature of the story that we're watching. We want sure. them to antagonize the hero and we don't need to know like what was Nate's dad like. I think the thing that's really hard for people is this is a show that I think a lot of people have identified as one that champions the underdog. And in a lot of ways, Nate is the ultimate underdog. So to have Nate go from ultimate underdog and should be the sort of one of the mascots of this show, honestly, like getting to a point where it's going to be hard for some fans to forgive him, but especially we can get into like characters forgiving him and what might happen next week. It's an interesting 
using the sort of mechanism of what people love about Ted Lasso against it itself, you know? Yeah, it's very true. It's like, obviously, I listen to an amazing amount of rap and hip hop. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing that all rappers have in common is that all of their teachers in school told them they weren't going to be shit. <laughs> like every single rapper. Yeah. My teachers told me I wasn't going to be shit. Now I am the shit. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, and you always wonder, what happens to these guys? The teachers? No, not the teachers. <laughs> what happens to, I don't know, no, no, no. What happens to these rappers if they have more encouraging sixth grade teachers. What do they become? Maybe they're present. Who knows? Yeah. But you never get to see that moment because you don't really need to. You don't really need to. They're telling you their origin story. They're telling you, hey, I wasn't always like this. I know you see me throwing my money in your face. I know you see me out here saying these things, doing these things. I wasn't always like this. A lot of people had to beat me down in order for me to scab over and then go into the world and be this ostentatious and this brash and this arrogant and this confident. What's happening in this story is a little different because Nate is choosing to feel the way that he's feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Not, let me not say that he's choosing to feel the way that he's feeling because he feels that way in a very genuine way because of his relationship with his father. But you, we can also see how some feelings are prioritized based upon the trauma that we have before because he has been believed in on this show and encouraged and people have had his back since the beginning. He has no reason to do anything other than to love, stick by, and maybe value Ted more than any other character. Ted has given him a career when nobody else was paying attention to him, saw him for his talent, and promoted him every single step along the way. But when you have trauma and hurt in your life that takes up so much space in your brain and your heart, it's hard to see the parts of it that, that are reaffirming you. So in this particular point, we're watching a villain become a villain, but we're also watching a villain make himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very interesting. Like, I felt one of the reasons why I'm so mad at him is because he's fucking ungrateful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. one of the reasons why I'm so pissed off is because, yo, it's all coming. You're doing exactly what you need to do. You don't have to do some Shakespearean shit. But I think these are the things that happen in real life. In real life, it's very hard not to prioritize your trauma. It's very hard not to take the worst parts of yourself and make them into the most important parts of who you are. I think that there's something also to be said about the fact that this show does a pretty good job as an ensemble show of investing in the emotional lives of secondary characters and making like all the ensemble feel like they're relatively three-dimensional people. But what you have to imagine is like all of these people to themselves are the hero. They are Ted Lasso. The show isn't called Ted Lasso. Oh. It's called Coach Beard. It's yeah. not called... Ted Lasso, it's called Keely. You know, like mm -hmm. there's this idea that like, you know, this is all revolving around the the son of Ted Lasso. But for wow, Nate, what a fantastic observation. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like Nate's yeah. probably like, actually, I ate shit for my whole life. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever respected me, starting with my father. I've always been told all you'll ever be is the kick man, or all you'll ever be is like Ted's sidekick, and Ted can do the press conferences and Ted gets all the credit. And I think they've done a pretty effective job of showing what happens when people buck up against that. Mm. And in a lot of ways, this episode was like, 
you know what? Like all fan service aside, you everybody would love for Keely and and Roy to be this wonderful relationship. It's two fan favorites coming together. But what if it just doesn't work? Yeah. You know, we would all love for Roy Beard. Nate and Ted to get back into the Premier League and make a Leicester-like run at the Premier League. But what if it doesn't work? And Mm. that's kind of like where this show is a little bit subversive. You know, it's like for every time Ted walks into a room and does three puns and a dumb dad joke to start a scene, more often than not, it's ending where like it's going towards where we're going. And I kind of wonder how many fans of the show are comfortable with that. When, When Ted Lasso came back, it's like, I can't wait to have this beacon of light and affirmation and sweetness and sensitivity and love in my life again. And it watch these people tear themselves apart. It's kind of tough. It's like the kale in my smoothie mix. Yeah. I really don't <laughs> want it in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I got the smoothie mix. I got the great stuff in my smoothie mix. I got the strawberry. I got the banana. By the way, you guys are out there. You're drinking a strawberry banana smoothie. You think it's healthy. Be careful. Yeah, because that's a lot of sugar, dog. It's a lot of sugar. It's a lot of sugar. Yeah. But for me, there's kale in it. And you got to have the kale. Kale is part of life. Bitter, but it's good for you. Bitter, but it's goddamn good for you, right? Yeah. I thought at the end of this show, I was going to get to see the whole team do a great big bye-bye-bye number. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> yeah. In, in the first season, we just, saw, we just saw that. Yeah. But I think the theme of this season is sometimes you don't get the big number that you thought you were going to get. Sometimes what you get is a little too much of the thing that you think that you need. And... Even watching Keely and Roy, who are definitely drifting apart, mm-hmm. there's no big inciting incident that's making it happen. No, it's just two people who got together and it got hot and heavy real fast. And maybe it's not right for them this time in their lives. Maybe it doesn't have legs. Maybe there's a part of Keely who still wants the Jamie Tart type of guy. Maybe there's a part of Roy who wants the school teacher type of lady. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yo, school teacher asked me, if I was married and I said no and nothing else, I don't know why. Because nothing told you to protect your relationship. Something says, hey, what, it would, what would it be like to hang out with her? People have been there. People have made the wrong decision. And even in him and them having that very open conversation about it, we're still, the characters are still more virtuous than most people in the real world are. Yeah. It's just we had gotten so used to them being who they were that now, you know, we don't want them to be us. We want them to be better. We wanted Ted Lasso to be, I'm going to use a Marvel term, a multiverse where, a part of the multiverse where everything always works out for everyone. And the show is increasingly telling us that it's not that way while maintaining the core DNA of what the show always is, which is someone just trying their best to be positive in the face of all of these things that aren't going right. You know, the show continues to sprinkle like some some nice little Easter eggs for for the football fans. And the idea that Nate has uh, in the beginning of the episode about uh, using a false nine, I can't remember who they're playing against. Maybe it's Brentford or something, but he wants to use a false nine. So that's his tactical idea. And what a false nine is, is basically in, in football, there's forwards, midfielders, and defenders lined up on the field and kind of like a few different rows you can be in three rows, you can be in four rows, whatever. But Nate's idea, which has been used before in football, is basically we're not going to use a striker. And we're going to have the midfield basically be the attack and put more bodies in the midfield and it will confuse the defenders. Because what happens is defenders look for the striker and they sort of orient themselves around where is this guy who's probably going to score? Like, let's all play off of him. Mm -hmm. And so basically by taking away that striker, the defender's like, who am I supposed to defend? What's going on? That idea basically, though, is what this episode (laughs) is about. You think Mm. you're supposed to keep your eyes on 
this Sam and Rebecca storyline or Ted and Doc and Sharon and everything. And you're like, oh, like this is a normal. And then this Nate thing happens at the very end. And like you said, you thought you were going to get to hear bye, bye, bye. But instead we hear Radiohead. <laughs> you know, right. we hear a song about paranoia and uh, creeping vengeance. And I kind of wonder whether or not we're in for a very dark finale because of that. It might be very dark. By the way, we have to do a whole podcast around my Radiohead face. It's not that I was into Radiohead. I was Radiohead. <laughs> I was walking around, you know. I've yeah. had the musical phases that I've gone through. I've then reflected them in my actual life. Like I was Kurt Cobain for a while. Then my dad was very, very afraid. You know, I became Radiohead when the shoegazing music came out. I was shoegazing. You know, the whole nine. I've, it, it's happened. So was your Radiohead phase like? Concurrent with OK Computer coming out, like what? Mm -hmm. When was this? Yeah, it was OK I mean, that Computer was, coming out. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like I, I feel like you. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> like you weird, weird. You know what I mean? Like I feel like you, bro. But we're the same. I'm that. I'm a creep too. OK Computer, one of the most perfect albums ever. Anyway, I'm going to pretend like I understood your soccer stuff uh, because I don't know soccer like that. The basic know? point is just like you have a fixed point that as a mm -hmm. viewer you're used to. I expect this to happen or I expect this person to be the hero of the show and this person to be the sidekick of the show. And by removing certain things, it disorients the viewer. And now I think that as Ted Lasso viewers, we're probably like, but they're going to figure this out next week. Maybe Ted's going to reenact his I forgive you speech. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know, though. I, I have no clue. And it's funny that you bring that up through the lens of what's going on with Sam, because it's a fairly gigantic decision mm -hmm. that one of the most beloved characters on the show has to make. And it starts off with him having the best game of his life, which I was thinking was a dream sequence all the way up until the point to where it was revealed that it wasn't a dream sequence. I was a little confused by that too, because they've, they haven't really checked in on the progress of the team very much. And then and in a voiceover, they're like, they need one more win for automatic promotion. And I was right. like, oh, wow. So I guess they've just been busted, like just kicking ass because that's very ass, hard to do. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. So it starts off with him and there's all of these undercurrents of what your new family means as juxtaposed to the cultural family that you feel like you belong to now. In this case, the billionaire guy is Ghanaian and Sam is Nigerian, but even still, though, there's a kinship and an understanding that they have based upon their origins from the continent. And there's something that this guy tries to do. I totally expected that character to be evil. Mm -hmm. And it was almost more surprising that the character was benevolent, right? Because all of the notions and the motivations behind it are good, and Sam has to make this huge decision. And then while I'm settling into that story and Rebecca's dilemma on whether or not she wants Sam to go or stay and what the reasons are. Is it for uh, Richmond? Is it for her? While I'm settling into that, these things just, uh, the, the billionaire's name is Edwin Akufo. Mm -hmm. Edwin it's Akufo. Played by Sam Richardson, who's a, obviously on Veep and tons of other Veep, stuff. Yeah, A lot of other stuff. Um, as I'm settling into that story, I am just kidnapped by some other plots that are going on kidnapped by what's going on with Nate. Nate puts us on blast before when he's complaining. Kidnapped by Roy and Keeley. And kidnapped by Ted and Sharon. And at the end of the episode, I'm not sure what I wanted it to have been, but I damn sure was pissed. Damn, I was very upset at that last scene. Mm -hmm. 
it engaged me and pulled me to watch the next episode because I, I want to see how the sunniest man in the galaxy shines some light on this betrayal. Yeah, there was a, an interesting line when Rebecca comes in to tell Ted about Sam. And this is kind of like that funny bit where it's like, isn't this, isn't this what we were doing last year? Like this kind of confessional moment where you come to me and, and seek kind of like a me- life advice. And that's the sort of infamous scene, maybe one of the scenes that made Ted Lasso what it is, which is the I forgive you scene. And so it's interesting to see echoes of the first season in the second season and wonder whether or not the show is like, it's not going to be like that again. Because yeah. this time, it's not just Teddy's fucking with. It's the whole club. It's yeah. possibly in cahoots with Rupert. It's uh, at the expense of a bunch of people who maybe aren't as sunny in their disposition as Ted. And yeah, I don't know if I don't know if the wolf pack is going to live through this one, man. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine them straight up writing a character off the show. It's also hard for me to imagine a third season where Nate is somehow a an antagonist, maybe a manager for another club or something. I don't, I don't know, but. I don't think that the resolution is going to be just Ted Lasso just being like, I am, uh, I'm fine with this. I can forgive anything. I can, like, I understand where Nate's coming from. I must have been, must have been my fault. I think it's too close to home for him. Mm -hmm. I think his panic attacks and what he's been going through mentally, it's something that you've seen him stew about a lot. Yeah, it's obviously also something he wasn't sharing. Yeah, it was, it was something he wasn't sharing. It was something that, came from a trauma that was deeply embedded that had been going on for decades. So I'm not sure if it's going to be as easy for him to react in the same way that he has in the past. And and to that point, it's like, what does that say about Ted? Is Ted Lasso still Ted Lasso if he gets pissed about this? Mm -hmm. Innately, what do we want to see from Ted Lasso? I'm actually not sure. Is this the moment I want to see Ted Lasso go, hey, fuck you, you're fired? Or do I want in my life to believe that there's somebody, even a character that's created and concocted that would take that situation and then deal with it using a heaping pot of grace. I'm not sure. But I think that the fact that we're asking these questions, it's healthy for the show. The show can't be, no show can be, how are the characters going to nice their way out of this one? It's just not life. Yeah, and it's funny to kind of go back now and, and kind of think about most people, I think, a lot of people watched season one in a binge uh, at some point over the last year. And then season two, for the most part, for everybody, I think is, if you're listening to this podcast, experience on a week-to-week basis. So it's now funny to consider the Christmas episode and this past episode in the same season. The Christmas episode, was for some people, I think a little bit of a shark-jumping moment where it was like, this show is too saccharine. This might right. be too too sweet. Right. And now you're like, damn, dude, I just kind of need like a, like we can go out on like a little bit of a high note, right? Like we can go, something upbeat can happen here. And I wonder whether or not they'll be like, it's both. It's them getting promoted back into the Premier League. Maybe Sam stays because he loves Rebecca, whatever, whatever. But like ultimately, like Nate's not going to be there. And, you know, Roy and Keeley will break up some combination of these things. I wonder what how they're going to set themselves up for that third season and what kind of show it wants to be. Do you have anything you want to say necessarily about the, the Sam Rebecca plot line, which was kind of other, the other sort of other than the Sharon plot was like the other plot we haven't really remarked upon. Kind of got kicked to the curb a little bit. Yeah. But this is, you know, this is what would happen if you're in a situation that like that, you know, the clo- the closest thing I think we talked about it, closest thing we got to this was when Phil Jackson was dating Jeannie Buss. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of a situation to where, oh, well, who's the right man for the job? 
Phil Jackson is. I wonder why. <laughs> you know, Phil's going to make that decision. Okay. I wonder why. You know what I mean? So, but all of those dynamics would exist if you had a player who was getting better mm -hmm. at the pace that Sam is getting better and, you know, expanding. You know, you see people giving him props and stuff, expanding his, uh, his brand all over the place. And then you have somebody who's essentially fucking the owner and in love with the owner. Look how crude I was. Uh, in, in love with the owner. Um, they make love. And you're going to run into situations like that. And then, you know, what does Rebecca want for the rest of her life? Because there's just so many things to think there. She's 20 years older than him, you know? Mm -hmm. So when she's talking about her life and his life, they're in completely different situations. Yeah, but there are some interesting parallels between Sam and Rebecca and Keely and Roy, where it's like everything is probably telling you that this would be a good idea. Everything is probably telling you that you guys make a great match. But sometimes where you are in your individual life dictates that. It dictates yeah. whether or not that perfect match actually is is actually all that perfect. Um, you want to make any predictions for next week? I don't know. It seems like a fool's errand. Nah, I don't really want to make too many predictions for next week. I want to let the story wallop me right in the face. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to make any predictions. I think it's obviously pretty clear that we're going to have a big showdown with Nate in some way. Either it's going to be a big love showdown or a big hate showdown. They can't play it any other way. So they can't play the middle here. The only thing I will say about the episode is there's only one thing at the episode that jumped out at me. And that was Trim giving up his source. Yeah, I was going to talk about this. I wanted to talk about this right now. That's good. Never. Yes, no. And and I know that like journalistic ethics and journalistic rules are different in England than they are here and everything. And I, I saw that even the official, unofficial Trent Krim Twitter account tried to say like that there are cultural difference. But I don't think there is really no version of this where this happens, where the no. person is like, by the way, it was neat. Yeah, it. I worked in... And I'm not going to go backwards and I don't even want to think of it. But I worked in that arena for nine years. Do you have any idea what a cardinal sin it would be to give up somebody that you've sourced right. in that situation? To the person he was talking about. To the person he was talking about. Like to That is super duper nuts. Like super duper. Duper nuts. And so so the, I, the the idea would basically be that Trent is not exactly like uh, Tony Kornheiser. That he's a guy covering a second tier London football club. That maybe he thinks by giving Nate up, he gets Ted as a source forever. I don't know. You could make some arguments, but that but is the not reality. Is that though? If you already have Nate, then what do you need Ted for? Right. Why not go to Nate and find out about yeah, everything? Yeah, most right. of the stories are going to be about Ted and about the club. And so it's way better to report on someone by having someone close to them rather than have them as your source. Because if you have them as your source, you're never going to get the real story about them. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody that's in their camp, you'll always get the real story about them. <laughs> or, or, you know what I mean? Especially if there's somebody disgruntled or a better story. So it's just something that would never happen. And I just thought, of all the things that they've said about Ted Lasso, and maybe things are different. When you say things are different, how do you mean that things are different? Well, uh, you know, it's not uncommon when you're reading, say, like an interview with a soccer player in even a really respected newspaper that they will mention that this person appears courtesy of Gillette or Gatorade. Like that they are doing basically a sponsored uh, appearance 
And that, that is why they get to do the interview is because they're doing an appearance for something for the Nike or for whatever. So okay. I think that's something that in, in the States generally people shy away from is doing stuff that's like directly promoting a brand for an athlete if they're like, they've got a sponsored deal. There's also a lot of stuff about um, fees for interviews, you know, basically paying people to talk, which in the mm -hmm. States, generally speaking, you're not supposed to do. But in England, I think that they're a little bit more free with like, oh, do you have some salacious gossip about David Beckham? Like it's 20,000 pounds show up, you know, like that kind right. of thing. And like they have all the stuff with like the phone hacking, remember with the Murdoch owned papers and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a hairy business. It's hairy over here as well. But yeah, it, it's just a couple of different like rules applied to British journalism than to the States. That being said, I still think Trent Krim like crossed every boundary that you have. And I think also when that story came out, I thought they were going to go a different way when he was telling him that it was coming. I thought that Ted was going to have to go around and find out who said it. Like, yeah. And it's obvious at that point that it would have been Nate, right? From how Nate was talking earlier with Roy and Beard, who were looking at him like, what the fuck is your problem? Right. When he's you just like, like he'll just take all the credit. He'll right. just take all the credit. Like, yeah, he's the coach. And Roy was a well-acted scene by Roy Kent because I always say that. Roy Kent wasn't acting. Roy Kent was a character. <laughs> Brett Goldstein, but, yeah, Brett, yeah. But it was a uh, it was well acted scene just because he's looking at him and his scowl is saying two things: this is the way things are, and you're fucking up right now. Yeah, yeah. So he's the, his scowl is saying, yeah, that's what happens. But also, I see what you're becoming. Nate's also still like bullying kids in front of Beard after Beard's like, I'm basically giving you giving you a warning. This time it's between us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, I, I'm really excited for this next episode. and I'm excited to talk about it with you, man. It's been an interesting journey talking about this second season. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss the season finale of Ted Lasso. We were produced by Isaac Lee for Van. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening to the Ringer Prestige TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.